The Gospel according to St. Luke, the eighth chapter. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as, as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for that, what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. One of the great puzzles of Christian theology is the question of why it is that some people believe and some people do not believe. How some hear the word of God and come to faith and others hear the word of God and do not come to faith. And it's a question to which with the information that God has given to us in his word and with our a human capacity for understanding, we do not have a fully satisfactory answer. It has not pleased God to reveal to us all the workings of his grace, the workings of his divine wisdom. He has given us enough, however, that we have no excuse ourselves. He has given us enough in his word that if we do not receive that word by faith, we can make no excuses. The Apostle Paul famously says to, uh, wrote to the Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is no other way in which faith is created in people than through the word of God for the preaching of the gospel. Faith is trust, trust in God's promises which are ours only 
in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And faith is born when those promises are declared to people and they come to trust in them, have faith in them. There's always a temptation in the church and amongst Christians to try and smarten up the word a little bit, make it a little bit more attractive, or when it seems unattractive, to just hide it behind things that are attractive. And this can be done in many different ways. We can perhaps put ourselves in the forefront. And so the welcome that we extend to people to enter God's kingdom is our welcome. Look at what kind of people we are. We are a welcoming community. We are a vibrant community. We are whatever. And so we put ourselves in the forefront as if we were a little bit embarrassed of Jesus and asked him just to stay out of the way a little bit so that he doesn't put people off. Or we might be tempted to put on a good show. You could put on a really high church show with choirs and candles and vestments and cathedrals and, 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 and wonderful organs, or you could put in a low church show with lights and maybe a smoke machine and a really slick band. And other variations of the same theme abound. But none of these things create faith. They can be instruments and vehicles for the word of God, and if they are, and if they open people's ears and eyes to behold God's promises, good. Good church music of whatever type does that, for example. And well-designed church buildings are designed to draw people's attention to God and his promises. I have told you before of a church, a Lutheran church in uh, eastern Germany I visited many years ago. And to enter into the pulpit, the pre preacher walks through a door. There's like a door into the, uh, uh, separating the steps of the pulpit from the rest of the church. And over the door was a big arch that said in Latin, Christus introit, Christ is entering as a reminder to the preacher as to what his task is, and as a reminder to his hearers what it is they ought to be listening out for. A piece of church furniture that was designed to teach the word. But it is the word alone that creates faith. And therefore, we must never be embarrassed of God's word. We must never discount its power because it is strange or alien or alienating to the world. It always was. The 21st century is not the only time in the church's history where the word of God says something that jars very sharply with what the world is saying. And there is part of its power. We must resist always the temptation to try and camouflage the church so that it seems familiar and acceptable to unbelievers. If it's familiar and acceptable to unbelievers, it has already gone native, gone rogue. It ceased to stand out. And not only do we new to the power of God's word when we hide it, but we are also communicating to the world nothing out of the ordinary here. The world will always do those entertaining bits better than the church will. 
Now, the power of God's salvation is in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God's salvation for all who believe. And Jesus, in this parable, reminds us of that power, but also gives us a partial explanation of why some people harden their hearts, why some people do not persist in the faith, but give it up. And he tells it to us, he teaches that to us, not chiefly as an explanation to satisfy our curiosity about this troublesome question, but rather so that we might be mindful ourselves. As I say every year when this comes up, this, is not, it's no, this parable is known as the parable of the sower, but it's not really a parable about the sowing, it's more a parable about the soils. Four kinds of hearers. Those who pay no attention at all. Satan takes the word away, it goes in through one ear and out the other, and it leaves no mark. Do not be that kind of hearer. Do not despise God's word. Do not put it aside. It is your greatest treasure in this life. Make an inventory of all the things that are precious and valuable in your life. The word of God is the highest of your treasures. It is the one thing that has the power to take you safely from this life to eternity in joy and bliss. The other two types of soil that, in which the seed fails give us a clear warning about the dangers to our faith when we cease to be attentive to the word. Faith is, in many, is, a, is a living thing. We are told in Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, the, faith, the word of God is living and active. And also the faith that it creates, it's a living thing. If faith is trust, it is a relational thing. And relationships are never static, fixed things. They are living and dynamic. They develop and they grow, or they can wither and wilt. And we must always, in our human relationships, be mindful of the things that can damage or even destroy them. Anyone who's been married for a length, any length of time knows that the original bliss and infatuation, all those things, wear off pretty quickly. And then you have to live with that other person for the rest of your life as they actually are, rather than how your infatuated eyes saw them. And that comes with challenges, and that comes with difficulties. Because people, no person was made to fit our specification. They come as they are. And that makes marriage, in many ways, a challenging and difficult thing. And not only marriages, but also friendships. Relationships with siblings, or parents, or children, or neighbours. And there are all kinds of things that we can do to do damage to them. But if we manage not to be hurtful, harmful or abusive in our relationships, we can still damage them, sometimes beyond repair, 
through the simple fact of neglect. Like any living creature that is neglected, it will begin to suffer and then cease to thrive and if left neglected long enough, will die. If you want to maintain a friendship, you need to stay in touch for starters. And you have to pay attention to the other person. You need to listen to them and not just tell them things. And you need to be there for them when it's hard work for you. And you need to be there for them when it's hard for them. So that you grow together through life. We, we can all talk about people that we used to know, but we have lost touch. And when we meet them again, our lives have gone such different ways that we have lost those things that once held us together. And we no longer know each other. Are strangers to one another. And husbands and wives likewise can become estranged from each other even while they live under the same roof. If they cease to be attentive to one another, communicate with one another, listen to one another, care for one another, serve one another, and share all things with one another. The same is true, but in a far more significant way still. In our relationship with God, a relationship which scripture calls faith, trust. Where we are God's children and he is our father. And because it is a relationship, it too is a dynamic living thing that needs to be nurtured and cared for and we must pay attention to it. The sea that fell onto the rocky ground was found itself without root. It was superficial. It had all the initial signs and marks of faith, but did not take root. And therefore it did not endure, could not last hardship. When the going got hard, those believers gave up. St. Paul in our epistle reading gives a defense of his apostleship to his doubters, which is grounded chiefly in his pride in the fact that he has suffered for the gospel. He doesn't list his accomplishments in terms of numbers of converts or numbers of churches founded or an amount of money raised for the church in Jerusalem. He could have done that. I'm sure he had the numbers somewhere, but he didn't give any of those. He was confident that he was on God's business because he had suffered so much for it and experienced so much opposition. <clears throat> and he was willing to suffer that, to bear the marks of Christ in his body, referring almost certainly to the scars, that, the permanent scarring in his body, the beatings that he had taken, the lashes that he had received, floggings for the sake of Christ. Probably a broken nose and a disjointed, a, a disfigured bone here or there as well. He was willing to receive all that and to bear that with pride because he knew that those who suffer with Christ will also be glorified with him. The word had taken root in him. 
in such a way that it was not to be swayed by hardships, but rather confirmed by hardships. I spent a significant uh, part of my youth sailing in the islands off the Finnish coast, and they are, to my eyes, very beautiful, but they are pretty barren places. Low rocks in a pretty hostile sea that is frozen over for a good part of the year, and when the winds blow, they really blow. A lot of rock, not a lot of soil. And you've got a particular species, kind of type of tree that you find there. There's pine trees that might be a century old, but are not much taller than me. And they found somewhere to go and they grow roots and they put their roots in the, wherever they could find a foothold and they grow those roots and they have withstood the wind. Now they haven't grown tall and impressive. You wouldn't want to make a mast out of them. But my goodness, they're tough. And the local population would use them for particular kinds of instruments or for bits of boats that require something that will not bend and will not break. They have been toughened and made enduring in the face of winds, of storms and of ice and cold and tough conditions. And God likewise allows us to grow, makes us grow in faith by testing our faith. Nobody ever grew fit by sitting on a sofa and eating comfortably. Nobody ever got strong by watching weightlifters. It is in testing and it is in trial and it is in hardship that God is testing us. And, and the scripture says, because he loves us, he disciplines us. And the discipline of anybody, by anybody, is unpleasant in the moment. That's kind of the point. It wouldn't be discipline if it wasn't. But that discipline is the means to growth, to hardening, strengthening, to maturity. And so when hardships come our way, we must never for a moment think that God has forgotten us. The psalm in our intro, Psalm 44, is a psalm written by someone who is experiencing hardship, the seeming absence of God where the psalmist recounts in the beginning of the psalm all the promises that God made to those who be faithful. And then goes on to recount the hardships being experienced by him and, his, and the people. But even though we have not broken your covenant. But notice what the psalmist does. He doesn't understand why God would allow these things to happen when we have been faithful. And so his response is to turn to God and talk to him about it. He still trusts God to listen to him and to give an answer, as indeed he does. Jesus himself cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. And yet Psalm 22 itself goes on to say that I will proclaim your name among the brothers. It already, while in the midst of suffering and the seeming forsakenness by God, is already proclaiming the salvation that will surely come because God is faithful. But an even greater danger, especially to us, pampered 21st century Westerns, is the temptation that comes from what Jesus calls the, <clears throat> the thorns that grew up with the word and choked it. There are those 
who are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. The concerns and the joys of this present life become their first priority. And they put the word of God in their list of treasures further down the list. They will make sure that they are not without other things before they are concerned about whether they have the word of God still living and active in their lives. They will attend church when there is not a better offer. And they will pray if they have time. And when the tough going goes tough, they take their eye of God and his word and they deal with it as if it was their own problem to be solved all by themselves. The cares, the riches and the pleasures of this life are forever with us. We cannot be without them. There are times when we have more cares than riches and pleasures and there are times when we have more riches and pleasures than cares but they will accompany us through this life and if we invest well we, our riches and pleasures might grow and eventually the cares will grow as we grow old. But we cannot, we will never be without them and they will always demand our urgent attention. And Jesus is warning us not to be bamboozled by the immediate cares, concerns, or desires of the moment, but hold on to the eternal. To allow the word of God dwell richly among us, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as we teach, admonish one another, as we attend to God's word, which is the power for salvation. Things come and things go. The word of the Lord endures forever. Because the promise is, and we see this in the seed that falls in the good soil, the promise is this, the word itself, the word of God itself, will accomplish that thing for which God sent it, as we heard in, uh, from Prophet Isaiah. We do not need to find it in ourselves to believe. We do not need to find it in ourselves to make the word do things. The word of God itself is the power for salvation. It itself will produce the roots. It itself will produce the stem, the leaves, and in due course, the fruit that is in it. We are not called to take God's word and amplify it. We are simply called to hear it and to believe it and daily and constantly to apply it to ourselves. And we can do that with confidence because, as Scripture promises, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And we belong to him. We have been made his. His death and his resurrection, which were for the whole world, were applied to us personally. Already when we were baptized and repeatedly as we hear God's word. All that Jesus promises here, a fruit unto eternal life is promised to you and whatever stands between you and your joy will be overcome by God's promises and whatever joys that you have in this life turn out to be like bright or perhaps dim lights in comparison to the sun of God's grace 
that fully overshadows all dim lights of this world. And Jesus has already accomplished everything that is needed. And he has packaged it in his word. And God has given us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead holy lives in accordance with it. It is God's word from beginning to end. The only work that we can do is to take our eyes off the promise. The only work that we are capable of doing is neglecting this great salvation. But when we become familiar with the love of God in Jesus Christ for us, when we become intimate with the grace of God, our relationship with him grows. And as we pour our hearts to God in prayer, we are also drawn to him so that we do not become estranged from him, so that we do not become indifferent to him, so that our love does not grow cold, but rather we grow closer to him by faith as he draws near to us again and again. And when that happens, finally, I should warn you that one thing will happen at the same time. As you grow in your love for God and you grow closer to him and you come to know him better and as your mind is made more like the mind of Christ you will find yourself less and less worthy of God's love do not be fooled in that moment to think that you have died in your faith that is when you finally you can thank God that he has finally given a truer understanding of yourself as you behold the love of God for you, as it displayed in the work, and particularly in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all his glorious promises, and you look, look at yourself in the mirror of God's word, and you see your own feebleness of faith and the coldness of your love, you will begin, you finally seeing yourself as you are, and then remind yourself, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world. Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And so we learn finally through the knowledge of our own unworthiness that really and truly we are saved by his grace alone and that grace comes to us in his holy word which shall last and endure forever. And since it has been implanted in us, we too will last and endure forever by his grace in his kingdom. May God in his grace grant this to us all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.